Portobello, written by Matthew Wayne, performed by Douglas Dorda. For folks who know how it can go. I was already late when the washer in the basement of my rental filled and then seized up with my best suit inside. There was a strict dress code for musicians at the Crouch Inn, and little of what I had would fit the bill, so the shirt I was scrubbing sick off of in my dirty kitchen sink would have to do, and Stucky, our drummer, out there honking the horn in his 48 Ford pickup, would have to wait. Come in, I hollered over my cigarette, though I'm not sure why I bothered. There was no chance Stucky heard me. The fucker could only even barely hear himself and would just shout at you if you let him. I held the cream-colored shirt up to my kitchen window, itself just as dirty as you might expect it to be, and could only see the stain with the dusk light shining through it just so. It would have to do. I tossed it on over my white tank without buttoning it, fastened my black trousers, threw on my jacket, pocketed my tie, and headed for the door. Guitar! Stucky shouted from the driver's seat, his upper half hanging out the window of the blue truck. Right! I said and spun on my heels, a little wobbly if I'm being honest. I got back into my place just fine, though, grabbed my case and made for the truck. Amp, Stucky hollered. The inn has a deluxe, I said through the open passenger window as I set my case in the truck bed and climbed into the 48. Bobby says I can use it no prob. Great, Stucky hollered. I'm in the truck now, Stuck. Shut up. Stucky laughed out loud at that all six and a half feet of him, just as loud as a goddamn church bell in my head. Hey, you don't look so well, Stucky said, quiet as I imagined he could manage, while he backed out onto Jackson Avenue and pulled away. Ain't feeling it either, I said. Gotta see Doc Bobby about that. Ain't no doctor, Stucky quipped as he turned off Jackson and hit the main drag through town. I don't need it from you. Wasn't giving it. That'll be the day. We ain't playing that one tonight, I don't think, Stucky said. Not with you in that condition. I sat silent the rest of the drive to the inn. Old Stuck was probably right. Probably couldn't play that one. The class of 57 would have to go without. Well, good thing for you these reunion gigs pay well, Stucky said while haranguing his drum cases out of the rear. Five years, I muttered finally. For them, Stucky said as he struggled forward through the crowded parking lot. Ten for us. Jesus, give me one of them bags, I said. I'll take my chances on me, Stucky said, looking me over beneath the street lamp that clicked to life mere seconds before we walked under it. No offense. Yeah, I sighed and waved with my free hand. Don't blame you. You thinking about Molly Chandler? I didn't want to answer. Well, whatever you're planning, save it till after the show, Stucky said. Okay, Stuck, you know best. Hey, Bert ain't gonna like you chatting up his sister, and if you're too sick to play, well then we need him double. Ain't too sick to play, I said, just too sick for your bullshit. Or to wear a clean shirt. I stopped beneath the next lamp and checked my threads. Ain't too noticeable, Stucky shouted. I just seen you yakking on it last night. I gave Stucky the bird and watched my own feet the rest of the way across the lot. The steel was cold when I grabbed the door open and held it for our encumbered drummer. 
I took a few breaths in the doorway before I followed him into the inn. The reunion class was lively. Pretty girls in pretty dresses, just like prom. Many of them there alone, and some with husbands who carried their purses along with their own nonplussed faces around the ballroom for brief conversations with folks whose names they will never remember. The guys were much the same, some single and others with women on their arms and wander in their eyes. You wouldn't believe the hair on these guys, glued down and immobile like they hadn't learned or smoked a goddamn thing in the years since they left the two clean hallways of Crouch County High. Oh well. I'd never had time for it, a party like this with my own people and had nothing to show or tell save the 59 Telecaster in the tweed case that hung by my knees right there in the ballroom. And that was only good for one thing. Near the back of the ballroom and close to the doors that swung onto the kitchen, and beyond his usual harem of local gals who liked a little something up their nose, was Bobby Langlaw, son of the owner of the joint, and the man in charge of events like these and any enhancers one might be looking for while attending one. Dr. Bob, the man I needed to see. I gotta get the rest of my stuff, Stucky shouted, and I turned to him along with half the damn ballroom. Be my guest, I said. You gonna be all right? I'll be fine just as soon as we quit yakking and get to playing. All right, Hoss, Stucky shouted and was gone. I dropped my telly on the stage near the house deluxe and made my way toward Bobby and his ladies. I was halfway to Bobby and sneaking my way through a group of round tables with white cloths and crystal stemware and fine china with fat cap scraps of prime rib and portobellos and more goddamn silverware for one setting that I ever had on my table as a child. My whole family would sit down to eat when a shapely figure in a blue dress stepped into my path. Cliff, she said, and I took my eyes off her blonde hair set against her plunging neckline and looked her in the face. Shit. Molly, I said, and looked into her blue eyes for too long before I said another thing. We need to talk. There's been some changes in... It ain't a great time. Can we talk later? I'll be here all night. We'll talk, she asked, and I tried to keep my eyes off Bobby, but I didn't want to lose him in the crowd. Promise, I said and managed a fake smile. Well, maybe not so fake. Sick was sick, but Molly was still Molly, and she had been since the day I woke up and realized she wasn't a kid anymore. Okay, she said. I smiled again and touched her elbow with my steadiest hand, and she smiled a little too. We moved around each other and I tracked Bobby's prematurely gray hair through the crowd near the kitchen. And I've got to say, it was a bit of a thrill to wind and weave through the crowd, which might have come down to how badly I needed a fix. Hard for someone like me to say. When I got close enough to grab Bobby's shoulder, my heart had nearly stopped. Hey, Bobby, I said as he spun around looking ready to hit me. Sorry, I didn't mean to startle you. Jesus, Cliff, he laughed and clutched his chest through his white linen suit. I smiled quick and nodded toward the men's room, and Bobby nodded back. We made our way over together. Everyone knew what Bobby could get for a guy or girl, and there wasn't a use in hiding what we were up to from anything but a direct view. 
Inside the shit palace, Bobby loosened. You don't look too good, he said. Yeah, I admitted. Easier that way. I need a fix. Don't need to be a lot. Sure, buddy. You got the cash? Not until after the show, I said with my eyes on my wingtips. No can do, Cliff. The fuck, man? You're looking way too fucked up. I need help. How do I know you make it through the show? How do I... The door opened behind us and a man in a blue suit with screwed down hair walked in. Fuck off, Bobby said, and the man fucked off, right back out the swinging door. How do I make it through the show without... I asked through my teeth. Not my problem. You booked me, I shouted. But I don't pay until you're done. Bobby said with a smile and a heavy hand on my shoulder. No risk. We've got a juke these kids can dance to if we need it, and I got a jar full of nickels. Now get out. I got a shit. Back at the stage, Stucky was affixing some banger to a metal pole and seemed to be having a time of it. You getting on? I asked as I popped open my case and retrieved the blonde telly and leaned her against the deluxe near the drum riser. Oh, nearly, Stucky said. You get well? No, sir, I said. I did not. Gonna shit yourself this time? Andrew, our bass player, asked in a whisper as he set down his case with one hand and his new transistor amplifier with the other. I didn't like the sound of the newfangled things as much as my champ, but it was bigger and louder and somehow lighter. Between you and me, it was hard to fault it. No... I said, soberly as I could manage, and silently thanked Christ it was Andrew who brought up that awful gig and not stuck, seeing as Molly was within earshot of the big bastard's booming voice. See you brought the bullshit amp. Brought something else, too, he winked. Meet me at my truck. My heart kipped up and kicked in my throat. There was a light, and it came in the form of our cake-eating bassist. So be it. Don't let fuckhead take my stuff, I called to Stucky, or my corner back there by you. He gon' want to be seen anyway, Stucky shouted. I think you're okay. I followed Andrew back out through the crowd of hairspray and cologne, and then through the parking lot and all its mosquitoes and lake flies and every other cursed creature of the night flittering beneath the streetlights. Andy was already in his Chevy and fetching something from his glove box when I opened the passenger door and climbed in. Please tell me you've got some grass, man, Andrew said with a smile. My heart sank. Not what I wanted, and he knew it. But still, I needed something. Grass? I asked with my face done up like a defiant teen. I can't help myself sometimes. Yeah, man, Andrew said and lit the doobie. What the hell, I sighed and snatched the dube from his mouth and tucked it into my own for a while. You pass that back, he said and reached for the glove box again. And mind your balls. He pulled out a baggie and shut the glove box, and when I expected another joint, he was holding the driest and most mottled goddamn mushroom I had to that point ever seen. The bag in his lap was full of the things. That much was clear, even in the smoke. I almost lost my lunch when he put the damn thing in his mouth, and it looked like he almost lost his when he swallowed it. When he grabbed a handful more and choked them down, I had lost my understanding of the situation. What the hell? 
You want to try? He asked once he gained control of his gagging. What is it? Mushrooms. I know that. What the hell are you eating them for? Look awful. Makes you see shit. Well, sometimes anyway. And sometimes it just makes you see the same shit as usual, only different. Taste that bad? I asked. Oh yeah, Andrew said. Awful. He handed me the bag. My guts rolled. Head throbbed. I imagined the portobellos inside sitting among the fine cutlery and got to it. Okay, he began. What's in there is about what I just ate. But I've done this before and you ain't. I handed him back the empty bag. Fuck, he said. Fuck indeed, I agreed. Next time, maybe lead with the important shit. Stucky was set up and lightly tuning his kit when Andrew and I returned after twenty or so minutes in the smoker. Bert was up there too now, set up near the front with his big gretch that matched Stucky's kit. Hey there, dopers, Bert quipped as Andrew and I went by him to our corners. It wasn't hardly worth saying a thing to Bert, not for me. It was always best to just let him do his job somewhere diagonal from me. Once the music started anyway, we got on okay enough. I barely had the telly strapped on when Bert barked into the mic. All right, class of 57, it's time to get down on this floor here and dance. We're going to kick it off with a slow one to get you on out here, but don't worry. We're going to get a little loud, too. The crowd cheered politely and Stucky kicked us off into a slow Everly Brothers number about tears and rain. Plain checkered pine turned colorful in front of my eyes as the dance floor filled with couples. Out beyond the dancers and beyond their tables and chairs draped with purses and jackets, Bobby was arguing with some man. I tracked the fretboard with my mind and kept my eyes trained on the angry man who had his hand on one of Bobby's girls who was not, in fact, Bobby's. I couldn't hear what they were saying above the band to tell you what, but they were sure as hell saying. Some big goon of Bobby's came from behind that man and dragged him away from the girl and away from Bobby and out the door. The angry man went kicking and screaming like some tune. Apart from me, I'm not sure anyone who was not involved noticed a damn thing. Certainly not Bert, up there strumming and wailing away. Not Andy thumping on his fender. And Stucky didn't hear a goddamn thing. I knew that. The slow, sad number came to an end and the couples nuzzled their heads together or rubbed noses and the folks clapped and the sound hit me like a rolling wave. I let it crash on me for a while. Warm. That might have been the lights. Molly grinned at me. She held that smile and my eyes a while too long before some suit came and took her hand. Then she turned that shine on him. I ain't a lip reader, but she said, you're late. And right then, I knew what she wanted to talk about. The warm light still shone on the band, but I felt nothing up there but my feet dangling over some bottomless place. Stucky kicked into a shuffle and Andrew joined with a rumble below Stuck's snare. Somehow, I could smell rain to go with all that thunder. Really, I could. I looked to my feet and expected to see worms wriggling around down there in moist soil. And maybe I did. I don't know. 
but my cable lead was snaking around on the parquet and wiggling just so with my own movements, and I swear it was just like the damn thing was alive as I was then, and I am now. More alive than I am now, at this age. I don't know what I was meant to play, but I started my Telecaster a-cluckin' like some blonde bird that wanted that tweed worm more than it wanted any damn thing there ever was. Folsom Prison, I think. And it was an odd choice, I'll admit. But it weren't really me making it. Not by then. Stuck and Andy fell in with me just fine, and it was only up to Bert to hear the train a-comin'. He did. And by God, them folks was dancing out on that ballroom like it was 1955. A wild ruckus where there had just been such propriety. Wild color flying all over as they swung and jived and ducked and laughed and hollered. And that warmth came back. Boy, did it. By the time old Bert had shot a man in Nevada, I was lost in it all. Eyes half shut more stoned than I had ever been in my life, but something else. My fingers slow, smooth spiders, and the heart of every man with an instrument up there beating in my head. It was the best it had ever been, or would ever be again. And I, me, whatever part of me was me, whatever part of me was dope-sick and alone and hollow, was then lost inside of it, and then dead inside of it. Shot in Reno. Watch him die. And then again through the membrane. Born. Telecaster in hand. Dance, you fuckers, dance. And out in the middle of the dresses and corsages and suits and wild boutonnieres. Black smoke. Greasy smoke. Not like some campfire. Like some machine that never shut down and just burned at all times. Some boiler. Some dark engine. It worked through the crowd hovering long over one man or woman or another on its winding way toward the kitchen doors. My hands slipped from the fretboard as I watched it out there snaking between all them dancers. Bert turned to me, his lips still on the mic and muttering and looking quite dapper in his blue suit. I gestured with my eyes to the thing out among the crowd, but Bert only glared at me. Look out there, I mouthed, and Bert turned, and I gestured needlessly with my noggin, but there was nothing out there but dancers who hadn't noticed yet my absence from the noise. Bert glared back. I gripped the telly and ripped. It was my time, anyway, and the solo was a damn thing. Notes slithered out from my fingers and possessed the wood. They became the wood, then liquid. They seeped from the telly and then into and out of the deluxe, and I felt them wriggle by me on their way into the reunion. I watched them, really watched them as they bounced around them kids' heads like fleas at the pound. And goddamn, the couples danced. Molly danced. With that man, sure, but eyes occasionally on me, and without question, biting her bottom lip. That would have to be good enough. Maybe for forever. Bert took the train down to San Antone and Stuck and Andy wound us down, and I bowed out and swigged a cola. When I looked back up, the smoke had returned. It clung with ethereal hands to a man out in the crowd, 
one hand on the man's throat and another in his mouth. The Angry Man, from the Everly Song. He didn't seem to notice his smoky passenger as he stood there with his hands on Bobby. The smoky figure moved where its head would be if it had such a thing and whispered. I thought it whispered. No, I think. I still think. I don't know. The greasy smoke whispered to that man. It said something or another and the man screamed to Bobby and the smoky thing looked at me. There were no eyes or orbs to be taken as eyes, but I am more certain it looked at me than I was or am that Molly had looked at me that night. It looked. It looked long. Too long. I stumbled back into the deluxe and rattled the reverb tank in the bottom, sending a washy clatter out into the room that no one noticed. The commotion on the floor had already begun. Smoke swirled as fists flew and jackets opened and ladies screamed and their bows rushed them away to one corner of the ballroom or another. Bobby landed a blow or two on the man accosting him, but neither the man nor the beast cinched to him so much as flinched. Not at all. Just kept coming. The band around me were clearing out. Stucky crouched behind his kit and Bert had his big jazzy up in front of his face as he scurried off the stage, with Andy going the other way. I just stared out at the brawl. Bobby suffered a jab and a hook before he landed a blow of his own, and then another with his massive hands. The angry man, who couldn't have been any bigger than my own slight frame, showed no sign that there had been contact with his skull. He just kept swinging wildly with one hand and reaching for his waistband with the other. Someone hollered my name. I didn't hear it so much as I knew it. But I didn't know why the call would come. I looked around for the source. Couldn't have been more than a second, but it felt like forever to me. Maybe it was the drugs. Might have been down to something else altogether. They say that can happen. The gun in the smoky hand went off. I don't know how many shots, but it weren't one. Folks screamed. I fell down on the stage and the deluxe howled something awful. I woke up next to Bobby. He was cuffed to his hospital bed and had all kinds of tubes running down his throat. I didn't. I was fine. A new hole in my chest at the shoulder and a bandage the size of your sister's ass, but fine. The lights above me rippled each time I blinked my eyes. Could have been the drugs. I detached the IV line they had running into my hand, and I'm sure whichever nurse had done the seating would have had choice words for me in my wrecked veins, but she wasn't about to get the chance to air them. I wandered over to Bobby. His eyes were open. You hear me? I asked. Bobby blinked scattershot and gurgled some. Knees up, I said. Blink once for yes and twice for no. Can you do that? Bobby blinked once. A whiny song played through the room and I squatted to the floor, shriveled nuts on the cold tile, and watched a nurse push a squeaky wheeled cart on past the open door to our room. She squealed on down the hallway and was gone. All right, I said. Molly Lane, you know her? Bobby blinked once. She all right, far as you know? Bobby blinked once and I waited for a second blink to come. Waited for it like some Frenchie waiting for the guillotine. But it never come. My band, I asked. 
they okay? Bobby blinked once and that impending feeling didn't come. Not the same. Not for Stucky or Andrew or anyone else at the reunion. And I'm sorry for that. At least in any way I can be sorry. Still, no second blink came and I gave thanks to God. Pull through, Bobby, I said and turned away from him without waiting for a response. I found my clothes in a cabinet behind my bed and got to work with them. Once I was dressed, I was at the medicine chamber near my bedside and searching for anything to get me through the coming hours. I pocketed a few vials of morphine and a syringe and left through the window. It was miles from St. Bonnie's to my home. Along the way, I searched alley after alley for a clean and hidden place to use the morphine but found no suitable place. Fuzz was crawling everywhere. The cops, not my hallucinations. Those had mostly faded to a phantom warble hidden in flat surfaces, and I knew well enough to ignore them. But still, I wondered at the ripples in the road that bounced like water skin and wondered what places I might find on the other side. I passed the road that led to Molly's childhood home and looped back to take it. Four houses down, I found hers. And from the backyard, I saw her light was on and she sat at her vanity. She had been crying. And I don't know why, but I could guess. I thought of searching the ground for a pebble I could toss at her window, but decided in time that my own well-being weren't what she was teared up over. I wandered out of their yard through the rear and hopped a neighbor's low fence with a loud wince, then onward to a park where I had played as a kid. There was a swing set there. Always had been. I walked to it under phantom power and stopped in front of the swings a while. There had been so much joy in that place once that I never found again. I could have sat down on the rubber and steel and seen how high I could fly. Maybe over the bar but I knew I couldn't have whatever it was that had left me in the years since I had last been in that place. No. Whatever it was, it was gone. And them things didn't come back. I went on. Another block and I was on Jackson Avenue, just yards for my rental. My door was unlocked, common for that time, and handy with my keys still in my guitar case, wherever that was. I laid down on my single bed and felt the gear rattle in my pocket, the first I had thought of it since seeing Molly. I fished it out and looked at it all a while, rolled the morphine vials in one hand and the cold steel syringe in the other, thought of that greasy smoke. Saw it, maybe. Can't be sure. I gathered the gear and made for the bathroom, pierced the first vial and drew the syringe until it was full. I looked in the mirror a while at my own face. You sure? I asked. I plunged the syringe and sent the amber shit into the sink. I stared at my own honey-colored eyes some more and counted the flecks inside the left one. Eight flecks. Still me. I pierced the next vial and ejected it in the same fashion as the first. All gone thoughts of that smoke and the perpetual engine from which it must have come came again before sleep took me that night, and they have come every night since. Some nights, when the sleep don't come, I think about Molly. Other nights, I sit up and think of that morphine and if it's still dripping in my pipes. You bet your ass I do. The End This has been Portobello, written by Matthew Wayne. Performed by Douglas Dorda.
If you enjoyed what you just listened to, it sure would mean a lot to Matt and I if you gave the video a like, maybe left a comment, or hey, share the story around with your friends. That's the type of thing that makes it easy for us to keep making stories like this for you. We really appreciate it. Thanks.